Our scripture lesson today is a couple of verses, Matthew 5, 14 through 15, that are part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, following upon the Beatitudes, which is their opening. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I noticed the obituary early in the week but got distracted and didn't return to read it until I noticed it again online. It was the obituary of someone whose name was familiar to me from the New Yorker, but I wasn't sure that I had ever read anything he had written. But obituaries are interesting to read. So I clicked on the one in the Washington Post and was so taken by it that in addition to saving it in the cloud, which is where presumably everything I save goes, I printed this one out and underlined several quotes from or about the person who had passed away. His name was George Steiner. He passed away Monday at the age of 90 at his home in Cambridge, England. He had indeed served as the chief literary critic at the New Yorker for over 30 years from 1966 to 1997 having succeeded Edmund Wilson, another giant of literary criticism in that role. After reading the obituary Friday morning, I turned my attention as usual to the passage on which I was committed to preach today, the passage that immediately follows Jesus' Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous of his teaching, which serves as an overture to his ministry in Matthew. The passage which follows the Beatitudes contains several familiar phrases, which we just read. You are the salt of the earth. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. I had already decided to preach on this last phrase, titling the sermon, Light to All in the House. But the meaning of that phrase was still unformed and undeveloped in my mind until I read the obituary of George Steiner. Now, it may seem odd for so highbrow a figure as a professor of literature to serve as a connection to a sermon given on a hillside by an itinerant first-century rabbi to fishermen and tax collectors and other ordinary people who had gathered around him. Yet Jesus' image of light to all in the house cannot help but call forth in our minds something common and ordinary that we all share. Light bulbs, 
lamps made by workers in factories all over the world, unloaded in crates on piers in our own country, transported via truck across I-80, delivered to Home Depot where we purchased them, or our doorstop where Amazon brings them. If our minds travel back to Jesus' day, his phrase, light to all in the house, may call up images of candles passed hand to hand in caves, flames flickering, wax dripping. May call up images of frightening flames, light that comes from the end of the torches held by the arresting party that show up in the Kidron Valley, led by Judas. It might call up images of ten maidens, some with sufficient, some with insufficient oil in their lamps, who are surprised when the bridegroom arrives before they expect him in one of the simple, easy-to-understand stories that was the mark of Jesus' teachings called parables. All these instances of light in the house seem a bit closer to home for us than the highbrow literary study in a musty seminar room with a large oak table and bookcases that are only dusted once a semester. But hold on. Maybe there is more common between Jesus' teachings and the obituary of a scholar of literature than meets the mind. Let's listen again to Jesus' words in all their fullness. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who lives in heaven. What do we see in terms of a connection between these beautiful and simple words Jesus uses and a few phrases by or about George Steiner found in his obituary? First, Steiner was deeply aware that when light shines, it is darkness into which it shines. Perhaps the darkness of sin that both people who taught confirmation mentioned to me coming in and that Whitney just spoke of. Says the obituary writer, in the background, if not in the foreground of all Steiner's work, was the devastation of the Holocaust, which he survived by fleeing Paris with his Viennese-born Jewish parents shortly before the Nazi occupation in 1940. This childhood flight would lead Steiner later to observe, Europe is the place where Goethe's garden almost borders on Buchenwald. In 1967, he wrote what would perhaps become his most oft-quoted words, We know now that a man can read Goethe or Rilke in the evening, that he can play Bach and Schubert and go to his day's work at Auschwitz 
in the morning. When light fills all in the house, George Steiner reminds us that it is a darkened house into which light comes to do its bright work. Likewise, as no stranger to human suffering, to the power of human evil, to the capacity of humans to discredit, ignore, reject, mock, dismiss, or destroy one another, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ had that same knowledge, for he experienced it directly, the light of the torches of the arresting party. It is darkness into which light shines. Second Steiner knew the sheer power of language and words to shape us for good or ill. He was fluent in four languages, French, German, English, and Italian. He once told an interviewer from Newsweek that just as any other person might do a daily round of calisthenics, he selected a paragraph from a literary work every day and translated it into all four languages he knew. He saw it his duty and privilege as a teacher of language, of literature, to hold up a work of literature and say to his students, this is the real thing. Here's why. Please read it. Please read it. For Steiner, the light of literature, of reading, of education, of knowledge, of thoughtfulness, of reflection, brings light to all in the house. Please read it. Please read it. But as much as Steiner led generations of students to receive the light of language, he also knew that words can shape us for ill. You can use human speech both to love, to build, to forgive, he wrote, and also to torture, to hate, to destroy, to annihilate. Steiner's wisdom in this matter calls to mind the words of a hymn we sometimes sing by Gilbert Chesterton, a near contemporary of his. O God of earth and altar, bow down and hear our cry. Our earthly rulers falter. Our people drift and die. The walls of gold entomb us the swords of scorn divide. Take not thy thunder from us, but take away our pride. From all that terror teaches, from lies of tongues and pen, from all the easy speeches that comfort cruel men, from sale and profanation of honor and the sword, from sleep and from damnation, deliver us, good Lord. Tie in a living tether the prince and priest and thrall. 
Bind all our lives together. Smite us and save us all. In ire and exultation, aflame with faith and free, lift up a living nation, a single sword to thee. The power of language to shape us for good or for ill. Third, Steiner knew that light does not always shine naturally. That often, especially when we humans are concerned, it involves effort and discipline to fill the house with light. The effort of the candle maker. The effort of the beshawled woman to keep the flame from flickering out while carrying the candle from one room, one side of the room to the other to bring light to her huddled children. The effort of the crafter of words to use the human tongue for building up rather than for tearing down. Steiner was born with one arm that was formed, that was less formed than the other. And thus, as an adult, one arm was nine inches shorter. He credited his mother with teaching him. If it's difficult, it must be fun and it must be worth doing. Sounds like a mother, right? Good mother. I could have bought shoes with zippers, he said, but it took me ten months to learn to tie a shoelace. I must have howled with rage and frustration. But one day, One day I was able to tie my laces. That is something that no one will ever take from me. I profoundly distrust the pedagogy of ease. My friends, it sometimes takes sheer human effort to fill the house with light. The house of the family. The house of the church the house of the community, the house of the classroom, the house of the workplace, the house of the public meeting, the house of the campaign trail, the house of the precincts of public trust and governance, the house of the city, the house of the nation, the house of the world. It takes effort and discipline to fill the house with light. Finally, Steiner's obituary speaks of his gratitude for life. In an interview, he said, whoever is thrown into life has a duty to that life an obligation to behave as a guest. What must a guest do, he asks. A guest must live among people wherever they are. And a good guest, a worthy guest, leaves the place where he has been staying a bit cleaner, a bit more beautiful, and a bit more interesting than he found it. 
perhaps echoing the Palestinian rabbi two centuries earlier who was speaking to his disciples on a hillside and who by extension speaks to us in Alexandria and Arlington and D.C. and Northern Virginia. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let the world be a bit more interesting when you leave it than when you found it. To transfer what George Steiner has said into the Christian context in which we worship, we too seek to leave the world in which we have been staying as a guest a bit cleaner, a bit more beautiful, a bit more interesting. For us, this is is particularly due to the promise and hope that we have concerning the world to which we are going. The world which has come in our midst in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world which is coming toward us as a new heaven and a new earth that will someday be here in his promised return. And central to all the books of literature and history, of fiction and poetry, of wisdom and pleasure and detective fiction and romance novels, central to all the books that we read, we hold up as most important as infusing them all as that to which we return the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments saying this is the real thing. Please read it. Read it. <laughs>